Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Really thrilled to introduce uh, speaker today. We're doing this little th- sort of series on uh, money, sex, and freedom and looking at some of the idols in our culture and how actually as we bow the knee to Jesus, they fall into alignment with his goodness. And so we looked together at money the last couple of weeks. Um, and um, you know, last week, Mike Andrea speaking about generosity. Next week, we have Amy or Ewing speaking about sex. Uh, so make sure you bring your mother-in-laws and, and uh, it's gonna be brilliant. Um, but it's just high time as a church we just talk about the things people are really talking and thinking about. And um, today I'm actually thrilled we're going to be looking at the, the subject of, of, of freedom. And our speaker today is, is uh, a good friend, but he's also terribly eminent. Uh, he's uh, the president of St. Melitus Theological College. He is uh, the uh, bishop of Kensington. I think we've got a little picture. Oh, no, sorry, not, uh, not that picture. Uh, the next picture. Uh, Yes, no, we are, this, is, this, is, uh, this is what he looks like now. Uh, Graham Tomlin um, is, um, you know, a, a remarkable man. He's here with Janet, his wife, their parents and grandparents, um, Bristol City uh, fa- fans or fan? Just fans, singular, just only Graham is, is the fan of Bristol City. And uh, he, he's, um, he's the Episcopal, one of the Episcopal visitors for the uh, Order of the Mustard Seed, uh, those of you who are uh, part of that. And uh, he, he just uh, really is a good bloke and a good friend. And he's written lots and lots of books, uh, but his latest uh, is entitled Bound to be Free. It is all about uh, freedom. And I'd, it, we, there are some on sale at the back today. It's an incredibly timely message. And uh, he's going to share uh, more about how our culture is in a bit of a pickle when it comes to freedom and how Jesus is probably the answer. So uh, well, I hope he's going to say that. If it's the other way around, we're in deep trouble. Uh, so um, would you please put your hands together and welcome uh, Bishop Graham Tomlin. Thank you, Pete. Very good to be here. Very nice to be with you all. And uh, it's a great privilege to come to um, Emmaus Road. I've heard a lot about uh, the church uh, from Pete over the years. And um, so it's really good to actually see you all. I can't really see you all because you've got these lights in the way. But anyway, I can sort of see some of you. Um, But it's really good to be here. So shall we pray as we begin? Father, we pray now that as we open the scriptures, you will uh, send your Holy Spirit upon us to enlighten our minds and our hearts and our wills and our desires And that you might shape all of those, that we might understand and live more in the freedom that you give us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start with a a reading, which is um, some verses from Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you want to follow them, it's Galatians 5, 13 to 15. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'll just read them out to you. And um, it goes like this. This is St. Paul. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if you've ever noticed how some of the things that promise freedom sometimes do the opposite. Uh, I am old enough to remember a uh, particular invention from a number of years ago, and I remember people telling me about this amazing new thing called email. And it was going to be amazing. It was going to liberate us from so much. You know, those days when, we had, when you wanted to send a letter, you had to get a bit of paper out, and you had to write your name on it, and the address, and you had to kind of write it down to the bottom and sign it, fold it up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, go along to the post office or the post box and put it in there. And that was the only way. You know, you were going to be freed from all of that stuff. And in fact, instead, email was going to be wonderful because all you'd have to do is just type something out, press a button, off it would go. And we all thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. What are we going to do with all that time that's left over to us? You know, when all we have to do is that. We haven't got, we're not tied to this kind of bondage of having to send letters all the time. Anybody feel freed by email? Anybody feel in bondage to email? That tidal wave of stuff that just keeps coming and you're just never free of it? The other one I remember is uh, the day when I first heard of these amazing new inventions called mobile phones. Now, this was going to be real liberation. You know, there was the day when you had to stick at home when you were waiting for a phone call. You basically had to stick around at home, wait for the phone to ring. Or, you know, when you wanted to make a phone call, you had to be, there was a wire that went from the phone to the socket. And you basically could not go any further. You know, if you got a really sort of modern thing, you got a long wire, which made you kind of, you know, walk around the room. But there was a wire. Basically, if you wanted to make a phone call or receive a phone call, you basically had to be there. And the message was, this was going to be amazing. You'll have these things that you can carry around with you. And uh, wherever you are, you can make a phone call and you can receive phone calls. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so liberating. Again, what are you going to do with all the time that's left over to you? It's going to free you. Anyone feel freed by their mobile phones? Anyone feel enslaved by them? Anyone feel their wife or husband is enslaved by them? <laughs> or children? Yeah, okay, we all are there. The things that promise freedom don't always deliver. Sometimes it gets even a bit more serious. Three years ago it was, in January 2015, that two Algerian brothers walked into the offices of um, the uh, uh, French magazine, the satirical magazine, Charlie Hebdo, and they shot and killed 12 people, injured about 11 others. It was a, something that spread around the world. And I remember at the time there was this um, Twitter hashtag. Uh, you might remember it. There was a Je suis Charlie. And uh, everybody's tweeting their kind of you know, horror at this terrible event, this terrible thing that had happened. Our world leaders gathered in Paris. They were marching down the streets to protest against this, this infringement of freedom of speech. And I can remember at the time um, going on Twitter and thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to write my own little Je suis Charlie thing, you know, to express my, my kind of, you know, my own sort of horror at this event that had happened. And I got halfway through it and I, I just paused. And I suddenly thought to myself, yeah, yeah, I, I am, like everyone else, horrified by this terrible thing that's happened. But actually, hold on a minute, do I actually want to defend the freedom of the artists in Charlie Hebdo to basically offend and to ridicule and to dis insult and disdain millions of Muslims around the world? Because actually, when you look at the cartoons in Charlie Hebdo, they were as rude about Jesus Christ as they were about Muhammad. Do I really want to defend that kind of freedom? And it made me begin to realize there's something of a dilemma here in our contemporary ideas of freedom. Freedom is one of those powerful ideas 
in the modern world. You can tell what a culture values by what it goes to war over. Back in the 17th century, we fought wars over religion. Catholics and Protestants fighting each other across Europe. In the 19th century, we fought our wars over empire. You know, we went to fight to gain territory for ourselves, the British Empire or the French or the Portuguese or whatever it might have been. In the 20th and 21st century, we fight our wars over freedom. The Second World War, what was that about? That was about freedom from Nazi tyranny. When you think of the first Iraq war, George Bush uh, fought. What was the title? It's a very interesting one, wasn't it? The title was Operation Enduring Freedom. And again, you know, when the Twin Towers were attacked, what was the rhetoric that came in the, in, in the wake of that? We must defend our freedom. And the reason why we sent troops over to Afghanistan and Iraq was somehow to extend freedom to these benighted parts of the world that didn't have them. That's why we fight our wars over freedom. But what do we mean by freedom? And what does our secular world understand by freedom? Because again, the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought actually that we Christians understand freedom in a very different way than our secular culture does. Now, what are these secular roots of freedom? Now, you have to go back, and as Pete was saying, if you want to um, look into this a bit more, um, you can buy copies of the book, uh, Bound to be Free, which goes into this in quite a bit more, more detail. Very good price, by the way, 10 quid today. You buy a lot more in Amazon and everything else, you know, so, you know, good price for it. Um, but the origins of this idea of freedom, they go back quite a number of years, back to the sort of 17th and 18th centuries, when people across Europe felt that they were living in an age where the church and the state were both very restrictive powers. You know, the church, whether Protestant or Catholic, was telling you what to do all the time. The state, the government, seemed to be quite restrictive. It seemed to be a very controlling society. And the kind of voices grew from philosophers and others saying, no, no, we need individual freedom. We need the freedom to be ourselves, to express ourselves. We need freedom from the church. We need freedom from the state. And so this idea kind of emerged, and it emerged from philosophers like Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the French philosopher, from John Locke, an English philosopher, from people like John Stuart Mill in the 19th century. This idea of freedom that was all about kind of liberty from all that controls you and tries to tell you what to do. Let me just give you one quote. This is my only quote, by the way, so if it gets complicated, don't worry. This is John Stuart Mill, 19th century philosopher, says this. Freedom is liberty of tastes and pursuits. It is doing as we like without impediment from our fellow creatures, so long as what we do does not harm them. That sound familiar? Okay, it's basically the idea that, uh, as these philosophers said, well, we, we need freedom from the state, freedom from the church, freedom to do whatever we choose to do, with our time and our money and our goods and our property and our talents. We need freedom from these things, but they were not stupid. They realized that if everybody else exacted, acted exactly as they wanted, you'd have chaos. And so they set some limits to it, and the limits were other people's freedom. And so we have this idea of freedom in our secular culture, that freedom is freedom to do exactly what you want. It's to be whoever you want. It's to define yourself the way you want and to act as you choose, as long as you do not tread upon anyone else's toes. As long as you don't infringe on anybody else's freedom, because everybody else has their space. And so what it envisages 
is each of us, if you like, with this, this little space of freedom around us, if you can imagine a little bit of you know, space around each one of us as individuals where we are entirely free to choose how we're going to use, spend our money, how we're going to use our talents, what jobs we're going to do, uh, who we're going to marry or live with or whatever else it might be. You know, freedom to choose entirely within that personal space as long as we don't tread in someone else's space. And certainly as long as we don't try to tell anybody else what to do. So that's our idea of freedom. That's the way most of us understand freedom within our secular culture. Now, if you think about it for a moment, every society tries to do two things. It tries to encourage personal flourishing. You want a society where individuals are free to flourish and to, to, you know, to enjoy life. But every society also tries to create social cohesion, a way in which we can live together well. And what this view of freedom does, it does kind of all right with the first one, personal flourishing of freedom. Yeah, it gives us freedom to choose, and that's all right, like as far as it goes. But it really doesn't do very well when it comes to the second, and the reason is this. And this is what I think is the real flaw at the heart of our secular understanding of freedom. The question is, how does it make you view your neighbor? If I have a personal space of freedom in which I am free to do exactly what I want, as long as I don't tread on someone else's toes and the toes of my neighbor, if I don't infringe on their freedom, then what that tells me is that my neighbor is at best a limitation or at worst a threat to me and to my freedom. They're not a gift to me. They're at best a limitation or at worst a threat. Because they become someone that's a bit frustrating because, you know, I'd like to be able to do this, but I can't do it because my neighbor's there and he might stop me doing it. And actually, I might offend him or I might sort of tread on his toes or whatever it might be. Or even worse, there's this my neighbor over here and she might try to tread on my freedom and try to, inf try to kind of impinge on my space instead. And so it sets up these relationships of opposition and conflict. It kind of comes out, doesn't it, when you hear the language of rights. And so often we say, you know, I've got my right to do this, and you can't tell me what to do. And the language of rights so often sets up these relationships of real conflict and opposition. It's why in our society we have so much polarization in our political debate, in our life, both here in the UK and the United States and elsewhere. It's becoming worse and worse because of this language, because of this view of freedom that we have. So if that's the problem with our secular idea of freedom... It does okay when it comes to personal flourishing, but it really struggles when it comes to social cohesion because it sets us up to think about each other as limitations and threats. What then is a Christian understanding of freedom? This is where I want to go back to the passage that we just read a few moments ago from Galatians. And just draw out three things from that that help us to understand what a Christian idea of freedom and how it is and why it works so much better than that secular view of freedom. First thing that our passage tells us is that we are bound. We are not as free as we like to think we are. In uh, that passage, uh, Paul says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. His assumption is that the world is bound to a kind of slavery. He writes again and again in, Paul, in his own letters, Paul, about how the world is in chains to hostile powers that enslave it. As a kind of Greek term he uses called the stoicheia to cosmu, the kind of you know, the, the powers of the universe, the elemental spirits of the world that it's sometimes translated as. These mysterious powers that somehow hold the world in bondage. 
And he says that works out in different ways. If you're Jewish, he sees the Jewish law as that sort of bondage. You're, you're held under the law. If you're Gentile, you are held under these elemental spirits of the universe. But the result is basically that the result of our sinful, broken nature is that we are enslaved. We are not free. Now, if you translate that into our kind of language, we don't really talk about, you know, most of us are not Jewish. We don't feel ourselves required to obey the Jewish law. Uh, you know, we don't really know what the elemental spirits of the universe are anyway, so we're not quite sure what those. But if you think about it for a moment, are you free? When you go out and decide to buy a new laptop, how free are you to make that decision? And is that decision not influenced massively by all the adverts that you've seen, all the friends who told you about how wonderful their MacBook Air is or their Windows, whatever device it might be, how free are we when we are influenced every single moment of our lives by subliminal and overt advertising and marketing and peer pressure and everything else that clouds it upon us? We think we are free, but we're not. And it's not just external pressures that tells us, you've got to have this kind of laptop, you've got to have this kind of mobile phone, you've got to have this kind of look or this pair of trainers or this particular bit of clothing or whatever else it might be. But there's also all those internal things as well. There is that anger and that greed and that resentment that, that, that stirs up inside us. And we wish we could be free of it sometimes. And we would wish we could just somehow calm down if we're the kind of person that tends to get angry all the time. For some of us, that's an obvious thing. Uh, there are many people in our culture, many of us here, who might have very obvious addictions to pornography or to, to alcohol or to food or whatever else it might be. There are others of us whose addictions are much more hidden. We too are addicted to anger. We are addicted to resentment. We're addicted to jealousy. And the New Testament's verdict on all of us is that every single one of us is an addict to sin. We're not free. We are addicts to that instinct to choose our own interests over that of other people. We are addicts to the tendency to ignore each other or our neighbors or our neighbors in other countries if actually helping them would inconvenience us. We are addicts to that jealousy of people who succeed in things that we are not succeeding in and we would love to be like that. We would love to be overcome these things, but we cannot do it. And so we find ourselves enslaved in this way. We think we are free, but we are not. It's been put this way. Maybe freedom is to do what you want, but then so often what you want is exactly the problem. Because so often we find ourselves addicted to those things that actually would destroy us if we let them run riot in our own lives. So there's the first thing, we are bound. That's what the New Testament's verdict is upon us. We are not free to choose. We are subject to all kinds of influences, internal and external, that make us behave in ways that we don't really want to behave. You know, that addiction to our mobile phones that most of us have, we kind of wish we could be free of it, don't we? But actually we find it so hard. How do I put the phone down? How do I not check my Twitter and my email and everything else? It's such a hard thing to do. Second thing that the New Testament tells us is that Christ sets us free. St. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And again, Paul and the whole of the New Testament says that on the cross and in the resurrection, 
Jesus took on the powers that enslave this world and has defeated them. And so the result of that is, as Paul proclaims the gospel, he says to the Jewish people he's speaking to, you are no longer subject to the law. You do not have to obey all the restrictions on food and, uh, and washing and all the kind of restrictions that are there in the Jewish law. He says to the Gentiles, you are no longer subject to these powerful forces that are around you, making you do what you don't want to do. The gospel, he says, is a declaration of freedom. You are freed, forgiven from guilt. You are ransomed from all that enslaves you. You're free from a guilty conscience. You're free from the need to do anything to earn God's favor. So the gospel is this declaration of freedom. But then he always goes on to say something else. This is what he says in our reading from Galatians. He says, yes, Christ has set you free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Because this freedom that Christ brings us is not freedom to do and to be what I choose. It is the freedom to do and to be what God created me to be. Think about this for a moment. Um, imagine two sisters. I'm talking about here about two different kinds of freedom. Imagine two sisters. Now, both of them love music. And one of them thinks, I don't want to do all this practice stuff. I want to be free from that. I want to be free to go to parties. I want to go to go and be free and sort of, you know, talk to my friends. I want to be free from all this kind of restriction of learning scales and going to my lessons and doing all that kind of thing. And so she, she, she doesn't do any of that at all. The other sister thinks, well, I, I, I love music and therefore I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to learn my scales and I'm going to go to the classes and I'm going to go to my music teacher. I'm going to practice, you know, hours and hours and hours a day. And her sister looks at her and thinks, oh, she, 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 she's so bound to this thing. She's so enslaved by it. Give it a few years, what happens? The first sister finds herself really frustrated because actually she would love to be able to play beautiful music because she loves music, but she just can't do it. She's not free to create beautiful music on a piano. The other sister is free to do this. She can come to a piano and she can do all kinds of things on it. She can create all kinds of beautiful music. She's got that freedom, that fluency, that ability to create music in a way that the other one didn't. So what looked like bondage actually ends up with freedom, and what looked like bondage, like freedom, ends up with bondage. Let me give you another example. Imagine you are uh, sent on a work um, placement to, uh, to, to Berlin. Uh, you have to go and live in Berlin for three years as part of your work. And um, you don't speak a word of German. And you go there, and you try to converse with people, and you find yourself really frustrated. You can't do it. You try to have a conversation. They can't understand you. You can't understand them. Uh, you, you maybe learn a little bit of German and you try to, try to speak it, but people keep on misunderstanding you and you misunderstand them. And you're basically not free to have any conversation with anybody. You're stuck in your own little world, unable to communicate. But then imagine you decide, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the classes. And say so you sign up, and every day you go to your German class, and you learn your verbs, you learn your nouns, you learn your conjugations, you learn your tenses. You work hard at learning the vocabulary. And gradually what happens is you acquire the freedom to speak really good German. 
you acquire the freedom to have a conversation with someone and not be misunderstood and not to misunderstand them. Do you see this thing? It's a very different understanding of freedom, isn't it? You could put it like this. There's one tradition of freedom, which is our, the one our secular culture has, is that freedom is freedom to be exactly what you want, to do exactly what you like. And it has no goal, no aim, and no purpose. It assumes that there is no underlying purpose for us as human beings. It's entirely self-defined. You can be and do exactly what you want. And freedom is freedom from anyone who tells you otherwise. Freedom from anyone who tells you not to be this thing that you have chosen to be. It's what you might call a freedom of indifference. But there's another kind of freedom, which is what you might call a freedom for excellence. That says there is a goal for human beings. And we have to learn to use our freedom towards that goal. Freedom is real freedom to reach the goal that you were created for. Freedom is to be the very person that God created you to be. Big question is, what is that? Is it just something that we generate from within ourselves and so actually it's entirely self-defined and we define it each in our own right? As we've seen, that, all that leads to is that sort of opposition, oppositional relationships of, 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 um, of conflict. And when we ask the question, what is the purpose of human life? What does it mean to be truly free? And we ask Jesus that question, no question what the answer is. We know exactly what the answer is. Jesus has once asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What's the purpose of human life? He said, quick as a flash, two things. Learn to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the purpose of human life. That is what you and I were created to be. People capable of love for God and love for our neighbor. People who are not turned in upon ourselves in that anxious self-obsession that so much of us spend our time wrapped up in. You know that feeling of, you know, what does everybody else think of me? Am I doing all right? Am I okay? Does everyone think I'm a complete idiot or weirdo or whatever else it might be? That self-obsession. No, instead it's being turned out from ourselves to love God and to love our neighbor. It's to be the kind of person who is not so self-obsessed that you can't think about anybody else, but someone who's caught up with love for God and caught up in love for your neighbor. That's the purpose of human life, is to become someone like that. All of us in our own distinct ways. Yes, there's that individuality in the way we express that, but that is the purpose of human life, to be someone capable of love for God and love for our neighbor. As Paul put it in that reading we had a few moments ago, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And freedom is the freedom to obey that law. It's to learn that skill of loving your neighbor. And so it's freedom from anything that would stop you becoming that kind of person. So it's freedom from those internal desires, those internal twisted nature that we have. It's freedom from jealousy and fear and anxiety and pride and lust and greed, which are basically all about ourselves. What can I get from ourselves? How can I get the best out of other people? How can I get the best out of life? That's what sin is basically about. A 
That's how Martin Luther just defined sin being incurvatus in se in the Latin, you know, curved in upon yourself. And what the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon us is to liberate us by turning us outwards towards God and our neighbor. So Christian freedom is not the freedom to do what I want. It is the freedom to be able to love my neighbor. And that is true freedom. Now, when you think of that as the understanding of freedom, go back to our question. You know, societies try to do personal flourishing and social cohesion, right? They try and do both of those things. Our secular view of freedom is okay on the personal flourishing, perhaps, but really struggles when it comes to social cohesion. Imagine what kind of society this brings about. On the one hand, it leads to personal flourishing. If you become the kind of person, and just imagine for a moment, you know, not being so just wrapped up in that anxiety about yourself. What does everybody else think of me? Am I doing okay? That kind of agonizing over ourselves that we so often have. Imagine being free from that for a moment and caught up in love for God. And we know that every now and again, don't we, when we're caught up in worship, where you kind of forget yourself and you just gaze into the ideas of God. It's an amazing, liberating experience, isn't it? Imagine being the kind of person who's actually not that worried about yourself because you're always thinking about, okay, how can I bless my neighbor? How can they get the best out of this? Not how do I get the best out of this? But then imagine a society where everybody else is doing that for you. So imagine, you know, we were a society of people where when we came into this place, everyone was thinking, not how do I get the best out of this service? Not how do I get the best out of this day? But how can I help my neighbor get the best out of this service? How can I help my neighbor get the best out of this day? Everyone else is looking out for everyone else. Well, you haven't got to worry about your own welfare because everyone else is looking out for it. Wouldn't that be a much better way to live? It does personal flourishing and it does social cohesion far, far better than the secular view of freedom does. And in this, my neighbor becomes not a a limitation or a threat to me, but becomes a gift to me. How am I going to learn to be someone who is able to to love my neighbor if I haven't got my neighbor to practice on? I need my neighbor. My neighbor becomes a gift to me so that I can become this person who is delightfully free of self-obsession, instead capable of love for my neighbor. God becomes not a threat to my freedom, forcing laws and restrictions upon me that inhibit my freedom to choose, but is the one without whom I cannot become this person that I was created to be. Because it's only when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and begins to free us from this self-obsession and instills in us a love for God and a love for our neighbor, that's when we find true freedom. That's when we find true happiness. Our culture tells us all again, time and time again, doesn't it? You will become free when you discover yourself. All that thing about, you know, find yourself, find out who you truly are and then express that, that sort of self-expression thing. The gospel tells us that we become truly free, not when we discover ourselves, but when we lose ourselves. That's what Jesus says. Whoever loses himself for me and for the gospel will find it. It's actually by losing that self-obsession. Instead, by being focused upon God and upon our neighbor, that's when we become truly free. That's when we become truly happy. So this is Christian freedom. This is the freedom that Christ has given us. The freedom to be 
People whose entire orientation is love for God, conscious that everything we have is a gift from him, hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving, living every day with that spirit of gratitude and love for God. And people whose whole orientation is upon how can I help my neighbor? That person who works at the next door desk to me at work, the person who actually lives in the house next door or the flat above me, the person I bump into at the bus stop every morning. And then our instinct is always to be thinking, how can I bless them today? How can I give to them? How can I make their life better? How can I look after their welfare? Rather than being so wrapped up in our own that we have no time for them at all. That's Christian freedom. That's what makes us truly flourish as individuals. It's what makes us truly flourish as a society. That's what Jesus offers. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And that's what the church is for. The church is a place where we come to learn to love God and to love our neighbors. That's basically it, really. That's why we do what we've just done. We've done worship. Just, just reorienting ourselves to God. Reminding us that the true object of our love is God. The God who gave us everything and who's done everything for us and has freed us. But we don't do that on our own, do we? There's no individual churches. We come here together. So that when we come here together, we learn the skill of loving our neighbor. And we start with each other here within the Christian church. And when we practice here, we, we, we extend, extend that beyond. That's what church is for, a place where we learn to love God and love our neighbors. And it's why when we come here, we try to open ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Spirit who alone frees us from that jealousy and that anger and that self-obsession. And frees us to be people able to love God and to love our neighbor. So that's our calling. To live in and out of that freedom that Christ has given us. To learn to use that freedom. To learn the skill of love for God and love for our neighbor. And to become people who really are truly free. Amen.